Section 28 of Essays, Book 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Malone. Essays, Book 3, by Michel de Montaigne. Translated by Charles Cotton. On Physiognomy. I was already considering to whom, amongst my friends, I might commit a necessitous and discredited old age, and having turned my eyes quite round, I found myself bare. To let oneself fall plump down, and from so great a height, it ought to be in the arms of a solid, vigorous, and fortunate friendship. These are very rare, if there be any. At last I saw that it was safest for me to trust to myself in my necessity. And if it should so fall out that I should be but upon cold terms in fortune's favor, I should so much the more pressingly recommend me to my own, and attach myself and look to myself all the more closely. Men on all occasions throw themselves upon foreign assistance to spare their own, which is alone certain and sufficient to him who knows how therewith to arm himself. Everyone runs elsewhere, and to the future, for as much as no one is arrived at himself. And I was satisfied that they were profitable inconveniences, for as much as, first, ill scholars are to be admonished with the rod, when reason will not do, as a crooked piece of wood is by fire and straining reduced to straightness, I have a great while preached to myself to stick close to my own concerns, and separate myself from the affairs of others. Yet I am still turning my eyes aside. A bow, a favorable word, a kind look from a great person tempts me, of which God knows if there is scarcity in these days and what they signify. I, moreover, without wrinkling my forehead, hearken to the persuasions offered me, to draw me into the marketplace, and so gently refuse, as if I were half willing to be overcome. Now, for so docile a spirit, blows are required. This vessel, which thus chops and cleaves, is ready to fall one piece from another must have the hoops forced down with good sound strokes of a mallet. Secondly, that this accident served me for exercise to prepare me for worse, if I, who both by the benefit of fortune and by the condition of my manners hope to be among the last, should happen to be one of the first assailed by this storm. Instructing myself betimes to constrain my life, and fit it for a new state. The true liberty is to be able to do what a man will with himself. Potentissimus est, qui se habit in potestate. He is most potent, who is master of himself. Seneca, Epistolae 94. 
in an ordinary and quiet time a man prepares himself for moderate and common accidents but in the confusion wherein we have been for these thirty years every frenchman whether personal or in general sees himself every hour upon the point of the total ruin and overthrow of his fortune by so much the more ought he to have his courage supplied with the strongest and most vigorous provisions let us thank fortune that has not made us live in an effeminate idle and languishing age some who could never have been so by other means will be made famous by their misfortunes as i seldom read in histories the confusions of other states without regret that i was not present the better to consider them so does my curiosity make me in some sort please myself in seeing with my own eyes this notable spectacle of our public death its form and symptoms and since i cannot hinder it i am content to have been destined to be present therein and thereby to instruct myself so do we eagerly covet to see though but in shadow and the fables of theatres the pomp of tragic representations of human fortune tis not without compassion at what we hear but we please ourselves in rousing our displeasure by the rarity of these pitiable events nothing tickles that does not pinch and good historians skip over as stagnant water and dead sea calm narrations to return to seditions to wars to which they know that we invite them i question whether i can decently confess with how small a sacrifice of its repose and tranquillity i have passed over above the one half of my life amid the ruin of my country i lend myself my patience somewhat too cheap in accidents that do not privately assail me and do not so much regard what they take from me as what remains safe both within and without there is comfort in evading one while this another while that of the evils that are leveled at ourselves too at last but at present hurt others only about us as also that in matters of public interest the more universally my affection is dispersed the weaker it is to which may be added that it is half true tantum ex publicis malis sentimus quantum ad privatas res pertinet we are only so far sensible of public evils as they respect our private affairs livy thirty forty four and that the health from which we fell was so ill that itself relieves the regret we should have for it it was health but only in comparison with the sickness that has succeeded it we are not fallen from any great height the corruption and brigandage which are in dignity and office seem to me the least supportable we are less injuriously rifled in a wood than in a place of security it was a universal juncture of particular members each corrupted by emulation of the others and most of them with old ulcers that neither received 
nor required any cure. This convulsion, therefore, really more animated than pressed me by the assistance of my conscience, which was not only at peace within itself, but elevated, and I did not find any reason to complain of myself. Also, as God never sends evils any more than goods, absolutely pure to men, my health continued at that time more than usually good, and, as I can do nothing without it, there are few things that I cannot do with it. It afforded me means to rouse up all my faculties, and to lay my hand before the wound that would else, peradventure, have gone farther. And I experienced in my patience that I had some stand against fortune, and that it must be a great shock could throw me out of the saddle. I do not say this to provoke her, to give me a more vigorous charge. I am her humble servant, and submit to her pleasure. Let her be content in God's name. Am I sensible of her assaults? Yes, I am. But as those who are possessed and oppressed with sorrow sometimes suffer themselves nevertheless by intervals to taste a little pleasure, and are sometimes surprised with a smile, so have I so much power over myself as to make my ordinary condition quiet and free from disturbing thoughts. Yet I suffer myself withal by fits to be surprised with the stings of those unpleasing imaginations that assault me, whilst I am arming myself to drive them away, or at least to wrestle with them. But, behold, another aggravation of the evil which befell me in the tale of the rest. Both without doors and within, I was assailed with a most violent plague, violent in comparison of all others. For as sound bodies are subject to more grievous maladies, forasmuch as they are not to be forced but by such, so my very healthful air, where no contagion, however near in the memory of man, ever took footing, coming to be corrupted, produced strange effects. Mixta senet juvenum densainter funera, nolum saiva caput proserpina fugit. Old and young die in mixed heaps. Cruel proserpine forbears none. Horace, Odes, one twenty-eight nineteen. I had to suffer this pleasant condition, that the sight of my house was frightful to me. Whatever I had there was without guard, and left to the mercy of any one who wished to take it. I myself, who am so hospitable, was in very great distress for a retreat for my family, a distracted family, frightful both to its friends and itself, and filling every place with horror where it attempted to settle having to shift its abode so soon as any one's finger began but to ache. All diseases are then concluded to be the plague, and people do not stay to examine whether they are so or no. And the mischief on't is that, according to the rules of art, in every danger that a man comes near he must undergo a quarantine in fear of the evil, your imagination all the while tormenting you at pleasure and turning even your health itself into a fever. Yet all this would have much less affected me had I not withal been compelled to be sensible 
of the sufferings of others, and miserably to serve six months together for a guide to this caravan, for I carry my own antidotes within myself, which are resolution and patience. Apprehension, which is particularly feared in this disease, does not much trouble me, and, if being alone, I should have been taken, it had been a less cheerless and a more remote departure. Tis a kind of death that I do not think of the worst sort. Tis commonly short, stupid, without pain, and consoled by the public condition. Without ceremony, without mourning, without a crowd. But as to the people about us, the hundredth part of them could not be saved. Vidios desertique regna pastorum et longe saltus lateque vacantes. You would see the shepherd's haunts deserted and far and wide pastures. Virgil Georgics 3.476 In this place my largest revenue is manual. What an hundred men ploughed for me lay a long time fallow. But then, what example of resolution did we not see in the simplicity of all this people? Generally, everyone renounced all care of life. The grapes, the principal wealth of the country, remained untouched upon the vines. Every man indifferently prepared for and expected death, either tonight or tomorrow, with a countenance and voice so far from fear, as if they had come to terms with this necessity and that it was an universal and inevitable sentence. Tis always such, but how slender hold has the resolution of dying. The distance and difference of a few hours, the sole consideration of company, renders its apprehension various to us. Observe these people, by reason that they die in the same month, children, young people, and old. They are no longer astonished at it they no longer lament. I saw some who were afraid of staying behind, as in a dreadful solitude, and I did not commonly observe any other solicitude amongst them than that of sepulture. They were troubled to see the dead bodies scattered about the fields, at the mercy of the wild beasts that presently flocked thither. How differing are the fancies of men! The Neorites, a nation subjected by Alexander, threw the bodies of their dead into the deepest and less frequented parts of their woods, on purpose to have them there eaten, the only sepulture reputed happy amongst them. Some who were yet in health dug their own graves, others laid themselves down in them whilst alive, and a laborer of mine, in dying, with his hands and feet, pulled the earth upon him. Was not this to nestle and settle himself to sleep at greater ease? A bravery in some sort like that of the Roman soldiers, who, after the battle of Cannae, were found with their heads thrust into holes in the earth, which they had made, and suffocating themselves with their own hands, pulled the earth about their ears. In short, a whole province was, by the common usage, at once brought to a course nothing inferior in undauntedness to the most studied and premeditated resolution. Most of the instructions of science to encourage us herein have in them more of show than of force, 
and more of ornament than of effect. We have abandoned nature, and will teach her what to do, teach her who so happily and so securely conducted us, and in the meantime, from the footsteps of her instruction, and that little which, by the benefit of ignorance, remains of her image imprinted in the life of this rustic rout of unpolished men, science is constrained every day to borrow patterns for her disciplines of constancy, tranquillity, and innocence. It is pretty to see that these persons, full of so much fine knowledge, have to imitate this foolish simplicity, and this in the primary actions of virtue and that our wisdom must learn even from beasts the most profitable instructions in the greatest and most necessary concerns of our life. As how we are to live and die, manage our property, love and bring up our children, maintain justice, a singular testimony of human infirmity, and that this reason we so handle at our pleasure finding evermore some diversity and novelty, leaves in us no apparent trace of nature. Men have done with nature as perfumers with oils. They have sophisticated her with so many argumentations and far-fetched discourses that she has become variable and particular to each, and has lost her proper, constant, and universal face so that we must seek testimony from beasts, not subject to favor, corruption, or diversity of opinions. It is indeed true that even these themselves do not always go exactly in the path of nature, but wherein they swerve it is so little that you may always see the track, as horses that are led make many bounds and curvets, but tis always at the length of the halter and still follow him that leads them, and as a young hawk takes its flight, but still under the restraint of its tether. Exilia, tormenta, bella, morbos, naufragia meditare, ut nolo sis malo tiro. To meditate upon banishments, tortures, wars, diseases, and shipwrecks, that thou mayest not be a novice to any disaster. Seneca, Epistle 91-107 What good will this curiosity do us, to anticipate all the inconveniences of human nature, and to prepare ourselves with so much trouble against things which, peradventure, will never befall us? Parem passis tristitiam facet, pati posse. It troubles men as much that they may possibly suffer as if they really did suffer. Edem, Ibidem, 74. Not only the blow, but the wind of the blow strikes us, or like frenetic people, for certainly it is a frenzy, to go immediately and whip yourself because it may fall out that fortune make one day make you undergo it, and to put on your furred gown at midsummer because you will stand in need of it at Christmas. Throw yourselves, say they, into the experience of all the evils, the most extreme evils that can possibly befall you, 
and so be assured of them. On the contrary, the most easy and most natural way would be to banish even the thoughts of them. They will not come soon enough. Their true being will not continue with us long enough. Our mind must lengthen and extend them. We must incorporate them in us beforehand, and there entertain them as if they would not otherwise sufficiently press upon our senses. We shall find them heavy enough when they come, says one of our masters, of none of the tender sects, but of the most severe. In the meantime, favor thyself, believe what pleases thee best, what good will it do thee to anticipate thy ill fortune, to lose the present for fear of the future, and to make my, thyself miserable now, because thou art to be so in time. These are his words. Science, indeed, does us one good office in instructing us exactly as to the dimensions of evils. Curis aquens mortalia corda, probing mortal hearts with cares. Virgil Georgics, one, two. Twere pity that any part of their greatness should escape our sense and knowledge. Tis certain that for the most part the preparation for death has administered more torment than the thing itself. It was of old truly said, and by a very judicious author, Minus afficet sensus fatigatio quam cogitatio. Suffering itself less affects the senses than the apprehension of suffering. Quintilian Institutae Orationes, one, twelve. The sentiment of present death sometimes, of itself, animates us with a prompt resolution not to avoid a thing that is utterly inevitable. Many gladiators have been seen in the olden time who, after having fought timorously and ill, have courageously entertained death, offering their throats to the enemy's sword and bidding them dispatch. The sight of future death requires a courage that is slow and consequently hard to be got. If you know not how to die, never trouble yourself. Nature will, at the time, fully and sufficiently instruct you. She will exactly do that business for you. Take you no care. In certum frustra mortales funeris horam quiratis et qua sit mors aditura via. Poina minor certum subito perferi ruinam. Quod timios rawius sustinuisse diu. Mortals, in vain you seek to know the uncertain hour of death and by what channel it will come upon you. Propertius 2.27.1 Tis less painful to undergo sudden destruction, tis hard to bear that which you long fear. In Certus Auctor We trouble life by the care of death, and death by the care of life. The one torments, the other frights us. It is not against death that we prepare. That is too momentary a thing. A quarter of an hour's suffering, without consequence and without damage, does not deserve especial precepts. To say the truth, we prepare ourselves against the preparations of death. 
philosophy ordains that we should always have death before our eyes to see and consider it before the time and then gives us rules and precautions to provide that this foresight and thought do us no harm just so do physicians who throw us into diseases to the end that they may have whereon to employ their drugs and their art if we have not known how to live tis injustice to teach us how to die and make the end deformed from all the rest if we have known how to live firmly and quietly we shall know how to die so too they may boast as much as they please tota philosophorum vita commentatio mortis est the whole life of philosophers is the meditation of death cicero tusculani questiones two thirty but i fancy that though it be the end it is not the aim of life tis its end its extremity but not nevertheless its object it ought itself to be its own aim and design its true study is to order govern and suffer itself in the number of several other offices that the general and principal chapter of knowing how to live comprehends is this article of knowing how to die and did not our fears give it weight one of the lightest too to judge of them by utility and by the naked truth the lessons of simplicity are not much inferior to those which learning teaches us nay quite the contrary men differ in sentiment and force we must lead them to their own good according to their capacities and by various ways quo me cumque rapid tempestas de feror hostes wherever the season takes me wherever the tempest drives me there i am carried as a guest horace epistles one one fifteen i never saw any peasant among my neighbours cogitate with what countenance and assurance he should pass over his last hour nature teaches him not to think of death till he is dying and then he does it with a better grace than aristotle upon whom death presses with a double weight both of itself and from so long a premeditation and therefore it was the opinion of caesar that the least premeditated death was the easiest and the most happy plus dolet quam necessiest qui ante dolet quam necessiest he grieves more than necessary who grieves before it is necessary seneca epistles ninety eight the sharpness of this imagination springs from our curiosity tis thus we ever impede ourselves desiring to anticipate and regulate natural prescripts it is only for the doctors to dine worse for it when in the best health and to frown at the image of death the common sort stand in need of no remedy or consolation but just in the shock and when the blow comes and consider on it no more than just what they endure is it not then as we say that the stolidity and want of apprehension in the vulgar give them that patience in present evils and that profound carelessness of future sinister accidents that their souls in being more gross and dull 
are less penetrable and not so easily moved. If it be so, let us henceforth, in God's name, teach nothing but ignorance. Tis the utmost fruit the sciences promise us, to which this stolidity so gently leads its disciples. We have no want of good masters, interpreters of natural simplicity. Socrates shall be one, for, as I remember, he speaks something to this purpose to the judges who sat upon his life and death. That which follows is taken from the Apology of Socrates in Plato, chapter 17, and so on. I am afraid, my masters, that if I entreat you not to put me to death, I shall confirm the charge of my accusers, which is that I pretend to be wiser than others, as having something more secret knowledge of things that are above and below us. I have neither frequented nor known death, nor have ever seen any person that has tried its qualities, from whom to inform myself. Such as fear it, presuppose they know it. As for my part, I neither know what it is, nor what they do in the other world. Death is, peradventure, an indifferent thing, peradventure a thing to be desired. Tis nevertheless to be believed, if it be a transmigration from one place to another, that it is a bettering of one's condition to go and live with so many great persons deceased, and to be exempt from having any more to do with unjust and corrupt judges. If it be an annihilation of our being, tis yet a bettering of one's condition to enter into a long and peaceable night. We find nothing more sweet in life than quiet repose and a profound sleep without dreams. The things that I know to be evil, as to injure one's neighbor and to disobey one's superior, whether it be God or man, I carefully avoid. Such as I do not know whether they be good or evil, I cannot fear them. If I am to die and leave you alive, the gods alone only know whether it will go better with you or with me. Wherefore, as to what concerns me, you may do as you shall think fit. But, according to my method of advising just and profitable things, I say that you will do your consciences more right to set me at liberty, unless you see further into my cause than I do. And, judging according to my past actions, both public and private, according to my intentions and according to the profit that so many of our citizens, both young and old, daily extract from my conversation, and the fruit that you all reap from me, you cannot more duly acquit yourselves towards my merit than in ordering that, my property considered, I should be maintained at the Prytaneum, at the public expense, a thing that I have often known you, with left's reason, to grant to others. Do not impute it to obstinacy, or disdain that I do not, according to the custom, supplicate and go about to move you to commiseration. I have both friends and kindred, not being, as Homer says, begotten of wood or a stone no more than others who might well present themselves before you with tears and mourning. 
and I have three desolate children with whom to move you to compassion. But I should do a shame to our city at the age I am, and in the reputation of wisdom which is now charged against me, to appear in such an abject form. What would men say of the other Athenians? I have always admonished those who have frequented my lectures not to redeem their lives by an unbecoming action, and in the wars of my country, at Amphipolis, Potidaea, Delia, and other expeditions where I have been, I have effectually manifested how far I was from securing my safety by my shame. I should, moreover, compromise your duty, and should invite you to unbecoming things, for it is not for my prayers to persuade you, but for the pure and solid reasons of justice. You have sworn to the gods to keep yourselves upright, and it would seem as if I suspected you, or would recriminate upon you that I do not believe that you are so. And I should testify against myself not to believe them as I ought, mistrusting their conduct, and not purely committing my affair into their hands. I wholly rely upon them, and hold myself assured they will do in this what shall be most fit both for you and for me. Good men, whether living or dead, have no reason to fear the gods. End of section 28 Reading by Malone